I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. Um, the book of James, as you guys know, we have been walking our way through this letter that is in the very back of your New Testament. Um, James, he writes to Christians who were scattered around what was then the known world, facing persecution, and he is writing to challenge them quite honestly toward maturity, toward a faith that actually makes a difference in their day-to-day life. And we've been walking away through this for several weeks, and we have a few more to go. I mean, it's been a joy for me to be in this with you. It has been challenging, I think, for all of us, and tonight that'll continue. And as has been our custom, we will um, pair this reading from James with a reading from the Old Testament. Um, This one tonight will come from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. I'll read that proverb. I'll read from James, and you guys can listen with me. All these things should be in your worship guide too if it's easier for you to follow along there. So let's listen carefully and closely to this God's word to us and for us tonight. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And then from James... Chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask in these moments that are ahead of us that you would do, Lord, the thing that only you can do. God, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would come that you would shine light on these words that are in your word. Lord, that you would shine light in particular in dark places, in our hearts. Lord, that these words in your kindness and in your mercy would be just the right words, Lord, to stir up just the right affections in our hearts for you, we pray. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to say something that is going to be particularly hard for you to hear. And I'm going to say it because I think it's the thing James wants to make sure that we hear tonight. And it's going to be hard to hear, but it's not going to be that hard to understand 
at least the words in the English language when I say them will not be particularly confusing. But learning to take these words and to live in light of their truths is one of the most consequential challenges, one of the most essential tasks in the life of faith. So much so that James believes to live as if the words that I'm about to say are not true is to live pridefully, to live arrogantly, and to even participate in evil. So how's that for a setup? So here are the words. You are not the owner of your life. To put it another way, you don't own your life. To put it another way, your life does not belong to you. And that's what James is trying to get us to see tonight. You heard me read it. Um, this passage is really a passage about maturity, about growing into maturity, maturing in our faith. And it's in particular, like we've seen in the weeks before, it's a call to repentance. The first week we got this call to repentance, it was with regard to the words we use and the way in which our words can damage others. Our second week was about the attitudes of our hearts towards other people. Last week, we had another call to repentance with regard to our actions toward others. And then tonight, we have a call to maturity or a call to repentance with regard to how we think about our future. And the main thing that James wants us to hear, the thing I want you to hear, is that our lives are not our own. So here's how we're going to approach this in our few minutes we have together. I'm going to talk through these verses, just one verse at a time. They're actually pretty simple. We will ask some questions of James here as we walk through them, and they will challenge us. And then I want to end by asking you and I a few additional questions as a way to just try to aim what James is saying to our hearts. So let's take a look. Look with me at verse 13. James has detected a problem. So what's the problem? Let's read verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. James detects a problem. So what's the problem? And the problem is that Christians are speaking very confidently about the future, ready, as if they control their future. 
He's kind of using a quote. There are those of you who are saying, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. They're speaking confidently about their future as if it's all underneath their control to do whatever they feel like doing. We really speak confidently about the future, don't we? Now, it's interesting. He's talking about perhaps tradespeople discussing their future. And in the next section of James, we're going to see next week, he's going to challenge people who have a lot of wealth. So I think there's a connection there that if we are people who are of means, perhaps we're even that much more confident that we can control our future. But James wants us to know we are still that much wrong. We live in a culture that values the independence that comes from controlling our future. The self-sufficiency that comes from controlling our future. We live in a culture that thinks that is sort of the holy grail of finding the good life. To be independent enough, self-sufficient enough to determine your own future. But James thinks this way of thinking is a problem. Why? Look with me at verse 14. He's going to tell us. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So we might ask James, James, what's the problem with speaking so confidently about our future? And James would reply back and say, well, it's a real problem because guess what? You don't control your future. Have you come to the point in your life where you have squared with that reality that you don't control your future? Y'all, I remember where I was when for the first time, it actually in a very real way dawned on me that I was not in control of my own life. I was at the skywalk between one part of a hospital and another part of the hospital, the glass skywalk that crossed the road. And I stood there in that hallway, realizing I am not in control of my own life. I wonder what your moment was. I wonder if you've had that moment yet. To make this point, James uses a particularly vivid illustration. Again, in verse 14, what is your life, by the way? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. There was a morning somewhat recently. It was really foggy and misty outside, and the sun was starting to come up, and it was beautiful. And I was in my front room drinking my coffee, seeing this morning mist and the sun peeping through. And I was like, oh, this is beautiful. My boys, nine and seven, really like fog. They're always like, Daddy, is it foggy? When will it be foggy? Do you think it'll be foggy? I'm like, I'm like do, I, do I look like a weatherman to you? 
When I say, do I look like a weatherman to you? They say, I don't know. <laughs> so I noticed the fog and I noticed the sunrise and I thought my boys will like this. So I go to their room, I start trying to wake them up. We're in there for maybe 45 seconds. By the time they came to the front room, it wasn't foggy anymore. That quick. And James is saying, and it is sobering, that's us. We are not in control of our lives. Okay, James, if we shouldn't speak so confidently about the future, and if that's a problem because we don't control it, then what should we do instead, verse 15? Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, it's important to note here that James is not talking about dropping a few cliche Christian talk words before you say something. Now, the scriptures will teach us that just like from our hearts, our mouth speaks in the same way, how we speak can affect the way that our hearts are formed, okay? But James is not talking about just simply stuff Christians say. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. You know how we do that? We just have these Christian-y things we say. He's not asking us to add a few more to our vocabulary. As important and as meaningful as words are. He's really talking about a deeper posture of our hearts. That acknowledges that you and I are supposed to be holy, wholly dependent upon God for every move we make. That self-sufficiency thing that is so revered in our culture, we're supposed to lean against it and be utterly dependent upon God for everything, and we're supposed to think like that. We're supposed to acknowledge the reality of, like, of that because it is true. James is trying to get us to see that the way of wisdom is to have our hearts shaped by a deep, deep, deep willingness to yield ourselves, our plans, our sense of control over to what God would want and desire for our life. James is saying the mark of maturity is that deeper willingness. This is hard, isn't it? It's hard for me. You know, I find myself saying often, my, my afternoon, my morning, with my weekend, money. I use the word my. It's hard because quite honestly, I don't always want what the Lord wants. 
I want what I want. James is talking about a posture of our hearts that is wholly dependent upon God for everything, that is deeply willing to yield ourselves over to him. And at this point, I just want to ask another question, like, okay, so what's the big deal? Is it really that big a deal? James, is it really that big a deal? Look at verses 16 and 17. He's going to say, yes, actually, it's a huge deal. And for, for, for a reason that you might not have thought of, as you make your plans, as you speak so confidently about your future, as you do your own thing, James is saying in those moments, we might be participating in something dark. Look at verses 16 and 17. As it is, speaking so confidently about our future as if we control our own life, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. James is saying that way of thinking is arrogant. He goes on to say, all such boasting is evil. Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Remember, throughout these chapters, we've seen James tell us again and again and again that we can unknowingly participate in evil. Remember, we talked about just like God has ends, things he designs to do, God has means, and at the same time, Satan does. He has ends to steal, kill, and destroy, and he has means. Our attitudes, as if we control, can control our life we're participating with him in evil. When we act as if we own our own lives, we're participating in something dark. Verse 17, James is saying, and you, Christian person, know better. If you know the right thing to do and do not do it, that is sinful. Remember, a way in which the scriptures understand sin is not just something we do, that's wrong, but something we should have done that was right, that we left undone. In these things, James is telling us that our lives are not our own. In doing so, he's calling us to grow up, to mature. He's calling us toward repentance, to live and to think and to act differently. Remember, in these weeks, we've used this metaphor of repentance. Repentance is like going down an interstate 75 miles an hour one way. It's getting off the ramp. It's crossing across the interstate to get back on the ramp, going the other direction toward Christ. And so the last couple of questions I want to ask us tonight are questions that I think help us get our minds and our hearts around what this repentance could look like. So what could this kind of repentance look like? in your life and mine. 
I don't think James is saying never make a plan. Some of you people who are planners just like took a major like <laughs> sigh of relief. But I do think what he's saying is to hold plans very loosely. I don't quite know what this could look like in your life and mine, but I want to just suggest that it looks something like this, from this to this. from clenched fists, in control, making sure you get to do your own thing with all your time and money and energy and effort and all that stuff to something like this. That opportunity from this to this. That relationship from this to this. Every now and then it involves a jaw thing. From this to this. your money from this to this, your weekend plans from this to this. Those fears you harbor deep inside from this to this. Scriptures teach to live like this is prideful. And James is asking us to make maybe the hardest muscle movement in the life of faith, and it's just this. So I don't know exactly what it looks like for you to do that. I wanna encourage you to seek and to think about what it could look like. Now here's a second question that I wanna ask on behalf of us tonight. As I read through this and this idea that we talk so confidently about our future and how James tells us that that is prideful, I thought to myself, I don't think I'm prideful about this. I actually just think I'm fearful. Like you might be here tonight and you're thinking, well, Joel, if that's true, if it's true that we need to hold our plans loosely, you might be thinking, then who is going to watch out for me? Like maybe you don't see yourself as prideful. Maybe you think of yourself, if you're honest, you realize you're fearful. I think the scriptures would teach us to think that we are the ones that have to watch out for ourselves. I think the scriptures would teach us that that is more, that fearfulness is at least connected to pridefulness. But I do want to remind you tonight as we prepare to celebrate this table that you can go from this to this because there is someone who has promised to watch for you. The scriptures teach that our Lord Jesus, of course, comes onto the scene as the embodiment of the wisdom of God in his person. 
And one of the things you see about Jesus, and this is Jesus we're talking about, this is Jesus we're talking about. And one of the things you see from Jesus in the gospel stories is he's not living according to his own agenda. He'll be pressured on all sides to do certain things and you'll find him saying, it's not my time, it's not my hour. The Father has determined things for me. You see Jesus, and this is Jesus we're talking about. You see him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's shaking, he's sweating drops of sweat that are like tears of blood, like drops of blood. I mean, I've been fearful, but I've yet to sweat blood. But you, what you hear from Jesus is him saying, not my will, but yours. The scriptures teach that if you belong to Christ, that you have union with him, and that Jesus's very willingness is now yours. And he promises that he will neither leave you nor forsake you. In other words, you have someone watching for you. I've told you this story before, but one of our kids was struggling in particular in his preschool. And his preschool teacher told us that when transitions would happen to another thing, so future-oriented things, he would kind of freak out and become all like tense and anxious. And Mandy and I began to talk with his preschool teacher about the ways in which she could begin to help him through those transitions. In other words, he had someone watching for him through all those turns. And I remember thinking about that. I remember thinking to myself, like, he doesn't have to worry because he has somebody watching out and guiding him through all these things. And in those moments, it's like I heard the Lord say to me, and the same goes for you. And that truth, and it is so true, has the power to help us move from arrogantly confidently boasting about our future as if we control our life. It has the power to move us from clenched fists about everything to a loosened grip. The Lord wills, which is a way of saying that it helps set us free. Let's pray. Lord, we do not want to be slaves to ourselves our own plans, Lord, we don't want to pridefully think our lives belong to us, Lord, but we need you to help us in these things. We ask that you would change our hearts, Lord, we ask that you would help us, grow us in wisdom, we pray. It's in Jesus' name, amen.